look at Acts chapter 12. Um, I've been thinking a lot just about this Acts series lately and just like where we're headed as a church. And um, the thing I think that God wants to say to us is something that's really encouraging. I don't know that all of us have felt like this uh, that this series through Acts has been super encouraging, though. Uh, you know, it's kind of been intense, right? We, we read about all these people, like, becoming martyrs for Jesus and doing healing and prophecy and, like, all those really wild stuff seems super spiritual, super intense, or at least maybe more spiritual and more intense than I maybe even sometimes want to be. And it's, it's, it's kind of convicting to read through the book of Acts and see what the early church was like Especially when we read it through the lens of thinking, well, this is actually a pattern. This is like the way it's kind of supposed to work. This is what we uh, hope to be uh, as the church of Jesus. And so uh, just as I was thinking about this, um, I feel like God wants to encourage us about what makes this thing really work. Uh, And it's with that question that I want to look to the scriptures today, just starting in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Uh, Intentions known. There you go. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Uh, When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him... Uh, out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just ask that somehow through the words that I speak today, and as we look to the scriptures, Father, that you would speak to us. God, that you would encourage us, that you would fill us with life, that you would give us the gift of hope and the gift of faith and the ability to trust you in ways that aren't natural to us. God, that we could fully embrace everything that you want and everything that you are doing and rely and trust in you completely to do all the stuff that we can't do. And I just ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so as somebody outed me earlier, I'm an old man having turned 37 just today, and uh, hopefully maybe heard somebody talking about uh, a fun birthday story from their past this morning, and I, I've been thinking a lot about um, birthdays since we just had this big party for my uh, six-year-old yesterday. Um, you know, the thing about getting a kid for your birthday or five days before your birthday is that uh, then uh, then for the rest of their lives, you know, uh, your birthday's kind of like not really uh, as much of a big deal, which is, <laughs> which is maybe how it should be, right? You know, like, uh, you know, at some point, you kind of go from being the center of attention on a birthday to creating the birthday experience for someone else. Uh, At least if you are blessed with uh, marriage and children, that's fantastic and wonderful. But I was just thinking about uh, my life and just how the lives of my children are are in many ways informed by the upbringing that I've had and, you know, just kind of reflecting on this tradition of birthdays, you know, the the marking passage of time and passage of years and just how, how good how ridiculously unfairly good my life has been, especially as I'm, I'm, I'm teaching in the public schools and, and, uh, and, and teaching in the public school on, on the north side, like in my community where I live, uh, and just kind of starting to 
read some of these kids' files and uh, get to know some of my students, uh, you know, the thing that just comes up for me over and over and over again is just how rich and privileged and kind of charmed my life has been. It's been so easy for me in so many ways, and all of this, in, in many ways, just because of the accident of my birth. I just, I got the jackpot when I was born into the family that I was born into, and so much has just been given to me. So much has, has just been, uh, you know, dropped in my lap. So much treasure of, of rich family experience and, and, a, and a protected, uh, caring family um, that, that cared for me growing up and, and just all the fun that we had in the birthdays uh, as I was growing up. But as I've aged and as I've experienced more of the world, I, I think I've had uh, a bit of a disorientation or a disillusionment. The, the, it seems the longer I live, the, the more I become aware of how uh, perhaps unique or rare my experience of a wonderful childhood has been. And the longer I live and the more of the world I experience, the more I start to understand uh, just how dark the world is. And I think about this a lot with my own kids. Like, how much do I let them in to this experience of suffering that is inevitably coming for them and all of us, right? How much do I protect my kids from this uh, experience of this present evil age and, and the darkness of the world, and how much do I help let them experience a little bit of it or tell them what's really going on when they ask questions about friends at school or what's happening in the world? Uh, how much do I share with them? How much do I protect their innocence, and how much do I help prepare them for experience in the world that is difficult and the experience of suffering in life? I don't know. This is what comes up in my mind when I'm hanging out at a birthday party. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the rest of you are like, oh, it's fun, cake. I, don't, I get in this kind of morose place. I don't know. Maybe that's pastor problems. Sorry, I'm trying to <clears throat> still keep this cold at bay and not cough into the mic. But I think that this, this experience of this gradual revealing of secrets that happens as we grow up in childhood, hopefully it is a gradual revealing of secrets. Hopefully our childhood is protected. Hopefully when we're young and innocent and weak, you know, not everything is foisted upon us. Hopefully we're, we're kind of led into the secret of how bad the world is as we, as we get older, as we're more able to handle it. But I think that sometimes uh, for some of us who've had a similar experience growing up, if we were raised in a loving family, if we were protected, that when we run into the difficulties of life, when we run into suffering, it can be so jarring, it can be so disorienting that we think that maybe something unfair is happening to us. And to be true, I think that the story of scriptures, uh, that, that's, that the story of the scripture is that God intended for the world to be wonderful. God intended for the world to be beautiful. God intended for the world to be without pain and without death and without the suffering that exists as a result of human sin. I think there is a story that explains why those things happen to us and why difficulty is such a part of life and why uh, sickness and pain and death and sorrow and all those things are so real to us. I think that the scriptures do give us a story for why those things exist and how those things can exist uh, under the reign and rule of a good God. But at the same time, I think that 
even that answer, even that story, just like any story that would explain our suffering, doesn't make the suffering less necessarily. And it doesn't still, that there are still questions that we have, and particularly if we have been raised in an environment where we believe that suffering is not the norm, when we experience suffering and hardship later, it's very difficult to process. And I think that we can see that among many people my age, you know, we, we talk about how difficult it is to adult, right? Oh, man, adulting is so hard, you know. I have to, I have to set my needs aside. I have to you know, deal with this. I have to do these things, you know, and it can be disorienting. And so then when we come to this idea of faith, if our faith is in a God who just makes everything easy for us, who just makes life golden and blessed and health and wealth and prosperity, if only we believe hard enough, then whenever we run into trouble, whenever we run into difficulty, whenever we run into suffering or pain, then we have a faith crisis. And now we don't know if we believe in this good God anymore because things are hard for us. But I want us to consider the birth of the church. And I want us to consider the narrative that we see in Scripture of a people who are poor, who are subject to lots of injustice, who experience pain regularly, and for whom the darkness of this world is front and center. And I want us to consider this in the light that there are people in our city, American people, citizens of Springfield, Missouri, for whom the truth is that life has always been hard. It has always been full of death and sin and loss and injustice and physical and emotional pain, that those things are normal and expected and kind of the status quo you will. And it is to these people that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. If you will, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that is good news for the poor. And if you find yourself like me, having grown up with lots of privilege, with lots of richness, with lots of good things that were just handed to you by the accident of your birth. The good news for you is that when you come into contact with your real poverty, when you come into contact with the poverty of the world, when you stand in solidarity with the poor, and when you recognize the poverty in your own soul and can see the truth that we are all poor, that we are all in need, that we are all broken and poor in spirit and helpless without the good news of God, then the good news is for us too. The good news is for the poor. It's for those who realize they cannot help themselves and that they are in need of assistance. They are in need of saving. And it is into this It is into this environment, it is into this atmosphere that God speaks and that God moves and that this story gets told. We see that very clearly in this passage, right? Peter, who's, you know, kind of a big deal leader in the early church, is in prison. 
It's pretty certain what's going to happen to him. He's basically awaiting a, a mockery of a trial so that he can be executed for being part of this movement that challenges Herod's authority. By saying that Jesus is the true king, that saying that Jesus is the Messiah king, it's undermining this imposter, this person who claims to represent God while he persecutes the church and, and, and you know, lives a lavish lifestyle of, of uh, opulence and uh, on the backs of the people he's taxing and abusing. Uh, it challenges this guy, and so he wants to crush this little movement. He wants to crush this anarchistic, uh, movement that says that Jesus Christ is leader, that Jesus Christ is king, not Rome, not Herod. And so he puts Peter in prison, but the church is earnestly praying to God for him. The church continues to have hope. The church continues to work. And this is happening after James gets the sword. So James and John, if you remember from uh, the Gospels, James and John were brothers. Those, these are the sons of thunder. These, these three guys, James and Peter and John, get to see Jesus transfigured. They're like his closest disciples. A major leader in the church has just been executed by this unjust king, by this, this puppet king who's totally collaborating with the Roman persecutors. He's totally uh, just a puppet of this, of this Roman state that's pressing the Jewish people and he comes and he kills one of the th one of the three best friends that Jesus had while he was on while he was on earth while he was living among us in flesh and blood and so the church has just been dealt this major blow and Peter's in prison but the good news and the gospel is is that even in this context Peter gets boosted out of jail by an angel and here's the thing I think that the temptation for us as Americans sometimes is to ask, why does that happen to some people and not to me? Why is it someone else? Why did James get killed and Peter live? And we get hung up on that question. It doesn't seem fair because my assumption is that I deserve to have wealth and health and prosperity, and if that's not happening to me, then something is wrong with the world. But the truth and the good news of the gospel is that the world is a mess. The world is a dark place. We should not expect that justice will happen as the default. The default is that the world is a dark place. The default and the truth that we learn as adults that is slowly revealed to us, hopefully, if we had a happy childhood, the, the truth is, is that the world is marred by sin. It is marred by war and violence and the unjust systems of this present evil age. And even those systems that claim to be good, when you look under the surface, they're full of corruption and they're full of darkness because that's what dwells even within our own hearts as sinful human beings. But the gospel is that God steps into that environment. He steps into a world that is broken, that is full of pain, that is full of death, and he speaks and brings in new life. He shows us a vision of something that's coming that we can place our trust in, that we can really put our hope in, that is better than the world as we experience it. We see the kingdom of God proclaimed and demonstrated 
in the midst of this need, in the midst of this pain. And we can, when we see it that way, we can experience it as good news. God is not done with this world. And even while we wait for the fullness of the coming kingdom, even while we wait for a day when James isn't put to the sword, God is at work boosting Peter out of jail, liberating him and bringing him out of captivity, out of bondage. The work of God is still bringing people out of slavery, out of prison, out of captivity to darkness and sin and, and of the oppression of wicked systems in our present evil age and bringing them into freedom. We see God at work. And so here's the good news that happens in that context. It says that the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. No reason to hope. He is trapped, and there is no way out. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. I always wonder, what's that like for Peter? Like, <laughs> you know, you always want the, angel, you always want the angelic vis visitation to be like, oh, you know. Touched by an angel, you know. Philadelphia <laughs> cream cheese commercial. The angel's, hey, wake up! You know, just kick him in the side, wake him up. <laughs> and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he's tripping. Right? He thought he was dreaming. He thought this was all a dream, you know. I've, I've fallen asleep in my prison. I'm getting ready to die. And I think, you know, maybe I, I'm having a dream of what, you know, that, that God is doing something. Right? They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for, for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Well, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And here's, I think, maybe some of the secret sauce, right? The church was praying. God heard those prayers. Many of the people were gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked on the outer entrance. A servant named Rhoda came to, the, came to answer the door. We'll say more about Rhoda here in a minute. When she recognized Peter's joy, voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! I, I love this because, like, this is how these things really happen, right? Like, you have this ditz for Jesus who gets mentioned in the book in the Bible, like the, like Rhoda's, Rhoda's legacy in the in the history of the world and in and then the truth of Scripture forever enshrined was that when God boosted Peter out of jail, she forgot to let him in when he came knocking at the door. That is what she will forever be remembered by in the Scriptures, and it's I, it's a mark of authenticity. But you know, here's the other thing. It's also a little bit of comic relief, right, that, that this is happening. <coughs> but why does Rhoda get mentioned? Like, why is her name mentioned? Of all the people that are mentioned in the story, well, uh, 
one, one way to, to identify, and when this happens in the scriptures, what, what is probably going on is when Luke was writing this account, when he was writing this history, he was writing it to a group of people. He was probably writing it to a church, writing, writing it so that people could understand the story. And so somebody, some of the people who, uh, who, had, who were still alive when these things were going on were part of that community, and Rhoda is likely one of those people. And so Rhoda gets mentioned here so that when the original hearers of this scripture heard the story, they could say, you want to know if this really happened, go and ask Rhoda. She was there. She was a witness. She saw God at work. That's what qualifies her. She saw God at work, and she told the story. That's what a witness is. They see something, and they talk about it. Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Here's the gospel. Here's what's good news for us today. It's that God is the one that makes this thing work. This has been true at every moment in church history. When the church is at its best, God is the one that's making it work. And when the church is in power and abusing people and doing all kinds of horrible things, which is definitely part of her church history too, that's when people were making it work. The good news for us is that God is the one that is driving this thing. God is the one who sustains it. God is the one who calls it into existence. God is the one who initiates it. God is the one who makes it happen. The good news for us as we read these stories in Acts is that the onus is on God to make something happen. This is not a story of Peter cleverly breaking out of jail. This is not a, a story of Peter persuading the guards to see his way and let him go. This isn't a story of Peter being super obedient and healing somebody and, connect, and, and convincing them that they should let him go. Though there is kind of a story that sort of is like that later. This isn't a story of the church just, you know, storming the castle and breaking in and taking Peter by force. This isn't a story of Rhoda, the warrior princess, you know, doing her ninja kicks through the door, which would, I think, actually still be kind of an awesome story. I want to read that story someday, but, but that's not what happened, right? This is a story where God intervened and saved the day. And the story of Acts and the story of all the scriptures is really just that story told over and over and over again. God is the one who makes this thing work. That's the gospel, that's the encouragement, and that's the good news for us this morning. And so if we find ourselves suffering, if we find ourselves struggling, if we find ourselves in pain, the good news is that God is still very much at work in this present evil age, in this real dark world. God has and continues to make himself known and act. And acts, if we're worn out from it, if it's been difficult for us to be challenged by the example of the early church over and over and over again, let me say this and let me say it clearly. 
Acts becomes good news for us when we understand who makes the miracles happen. It's not our faith. It's not our perfect obedience. But it is his grace and power poured out on messed up, goofy, ditzy, sinful people. It's his grace and power at work in us. And on that, we place all of our trust, all of our hope. And believe that he will continue to do what he has done in the past. And so the invitation for us this morning is to stop asking, why is this happening to me? Or why is this not happening to me? But the invitation for us is to ask, Lord, what do you want? What do you want to give me? What do you want to give through me to someone else? What are you doing? And how can I agree with you? How can I let you be Lord of my life? How can I say yes to the good things that you want to do that I could never do myself? That's the invitation from God this morning, to experience and to live. That's the good news. A, little, a couple riffs on this idea. You know, God thwarts the Herods of this world. If you read on in the story, it gets a bit gruesome, but, uh, you know, basically things don't end well for Herod. You know, the power structures of this world will all be judged, and God will be the victor in the end. When you have a leader who, who claims to represent God and, and uses that lie to justify all kinds of terrible things and all kinds of terrible injustice, rest assured there is a just judge who will give that leader what they deserve. God is a just judge, and he thwarts the Herods of this world. And so we don't have to force it. We don't have to try to make it happen. We don't have to act with violence. We don't have to act out of our own human strength. But God will judge the wicked. And that's good news when you're on the side of the righteous. The good news for us when we find ourselves on the side of the wicked is that he's merciful and that if we confess our sins, he is willing and able to and when we eat at this table and accept his sacrifice on our behalf, when we accept the violence that was done to him so that we could live in peace, when we embrace his life of suffering, when we die in baptism to the things of this world and are raised in the hope of new life in Christ, when we say, my life is forfeit for Jesus, he raises us to new life and to a hope that death cannot conquer. James receives his reward along with Peter. Peter got to live a little longer, but James knew, knew Jesus as the resurrected Lord, and at the end, he will be raised with Peter as well. When we put our hope in Christ, there's nothing that can overcome us. There's nothing that can take us down, and we can trust that he will judge the injustice of this world. God makes hope happen where there should be none. When we have every reason to think this is hopeless, there's no way out of this, when we are trapped in prison, chains on our hands, surrounded by two guards inside the cell and two guards outside the cell, and our, our you know, death day is tomorrow, God can send an angel. God can break us out of that prison. 
God can continue to make a way for there to be hope and peace. And he does. That's his business. That's what he does. And when he does, that is his business as well. If Peter had died, we would still celebrate him as a hero in God's church. If Peter had died in prison this time, God still would have worked. God still would have made things happen in the early church. And I think it's just important that we understand when we commit our lives to Jesus, we hold them with an open hand. They are for God to use however he sees fit. And when we trust him to do that, he will use them however he sees fit. And he will do good things that we could never do on our own by his power, which is made perfect in our weakness. So I have a couple suggestions of things to try this week. You know, this church needs God to work. We just need God to be at work in our, in, in our midst. We need the Lord to do things that only he can do. The challenges we face and the, the dreams that we have are God-sized dreams and God-sized problems. We think that you know, roughly 25 adults and 15, 20 kids, I don't know where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah, something like that. We think that a, a little less than 50 people, and half of them children, can make a significant difference on the homeless community in Springfield, Missouri. We think that a, a group that's a little smaller than 50 people can preach the gospel to the poor and see God heal and restore those who are broken. We think that, that this small group of people can have an impact on this city that's eternal, and people can come to know the Lord and be saved. And the only way we believe that's possible, the only way that that will, t that will happen is if God does something. Because we are very in touch with our weakness. We are very in touch with our limitations. We are very in touch with our doubts. We are very in touch with just the, the strapped, like bursting at the seams fullness of life of raising little kids and, and having to work and all the challenges that we face and the tragedies that we face, we, we know the exhaustion, we know the, the limits of ourselves. But the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ is that God is bigger than all of those limitations. God is bigger than everything that stands in our way, and he will work if we trust him and we ask him to move. He'll do what he wants, not necessarily always what we want, but he is good, and he is just, and he is able to work his will in our lives and to bring his kingdom right here in this building, in Springfield, Missouri, and out in the street, and in our classrooms, and in our cubicles, and in those tense office situations, and in our personal lives, and in our families, and everywhere that we go. We carry the giver of all the gifts inside us if we welcomed him into our hearts, he is at work among us. It's the only reason I give shit. Is that he's here and he's doing things. And we can embrace his agenda for our life. We can embrace what he's doing among us and see him glorified. See him put on display. And see him come through and save us in ways that we didn't even know we needed. And so I'm asking for 
just this week, make a commitment for at least this week. Pray for this church a lot. Just pray for the people that come to mind when you think of this body of believers. Pray for the people who are sick and aren't here today. Pray for uh, the needs that you know are present. Pray for the marriages of everybody who's married in this church. Pray for the souls of everyone who's not married and everyone who's little and everyone who's alone and everyone who's suffering. Pray for those who are, are rejoicing and ask God to pour more blessing out on them. Pray for the people that are part of this church that God would get his way and get glory in the lives of people in this church. Just take some time to pray and pray that we as a community can really embrace the Father's desires and the Father's work in our midst. And that we would have the hope that is irrational and unshakable in Jesus Christ and what he is able to do in this present evil age and in this dark world. Pray for the church every day this week. And then just be the church. Just be the people that represent Jesus where you find yourselves way that you work with your co-workers in the way you lavish grace on them when they really don't deserve it in the way that we uh, confess our sins to one another and be honest about our shortcomings in the ways that we spend time with and love our families and in the ways that we manage the resources that God has entrusted to us in order to bless our neighbors to take care of the people that God has given us to care for. Be the church. Be the people that are the flesh and blood representation of Jesus on your block, at your workplace, and in your family. And pray in the power of the Holy Spirit for God's kingdom to come. I believe it will come. Would you stand? Now is the time that we take to pray for one another. And um, if you want prayer, um, during this last song, you just come up and uh, stand kind of up here in the front and maybe up here if that's easier for you to get to. And that'll just be a signal that you want somebody who's been trained on the prayer team to come up and put their hand on your shoulder and just ask how they can pray for you. And we'll pray for you in confidence and try not to be any more weird than Jesus. You know, we're not going to push you over. Right? So, um, just a couple things. If you're feeling weary and life is just hard, I believe that God wants to give hope today. I believe that he has an abundant, uh, everlasting supply of hope and that he can just give that to people supernaturally. And I think that that is, uh, I think that's available. I think he's just pouring that out on us this morning. Um, also, if you are just feeling like a lot of guilt and shame that um, you're not enough, or that God um, isn't, you know, doing more in your life because you haven't, you know, given him enough or whatever. Just any kind of, like, feeling like, man, if I was just better, then God would love me more, or, you know, I would feel closer to him or something like that. I just really believe that God wants to break that shame and that guilt off and lavish his grace and love on us. And so that's available. Um, if you want that, come forward, get prayer. God will give that to you. And then also, I just think if anybody's uh, sick, uh, boy, we could, we could pray for that too, and maybe God will come. Okay? All right. Phil, can you close out prayer here? Sure.
Let me just pray for us real quick before we get started here. Lord, we just need you to work. We all have so much need, but the good news is that you have so much to give. Really, only you have what we need. And so, Lord, we just need you. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your forgiveness. We need your healing. We welcome you, Father. And we ask that you pour out your kingdom. We ask that you pour out your spirit on us right now. In the name of Jesus.